Good morning. Thank you for having me here. You have touched my heart in ways um, you probably don't even realize it. Because um, Dick and Carla, for whom we just interceded, uh, uh, their uh, daughter and son-in-law, uh, uh, Dave and Kate Klammer, were our members of Holland Heights Church. And I, I, my story at Holland Heights just finished last September after a little over 32 years of pastoring at Holland Heights Church. I think, I think God was limiting the damage I could do to the kingdom. <laughs> he kept me in one church all that time. Uh, but David, uh, but you, I hope you, I hope you have experienced or will experience um, the power of God's people when I hear other congregations and other Christians praying for people who are close to my heart and my congregation. And uh, while I was pastor at Holland Heights Church, there were a number of times that we lifted you up in prayer. You've blessed us by your prayers this morning. You bless us also because my wife has taken our grandsons to your little play area over there. And I always kind of feel like we're trespassing because, well, this isn't our church and we're here and they're not charging. Um, uh, so, but we, we, we get there. Um, you also honor me by um, ha allowing me to come and share God's word with you. Uh, my friend Eric, he's too generous and too kind with his words. Um, now, I say he's a friend because if you know me at all, you know from my days at Holland Heights Church, I can make a whole sermon out of one word in the Bible, okay? So Eric says, George, I want you to preach on Matthew. Uh, so I thought, okay, I thought the new sanctuary would be done so we'd have another hour and a half. You'd be so comfortable we could take more time. But no, we're still in here, so I'm going to try to keep it within our time frame. Um, but I'm excited. Uh, as a retired pastor now, um, you, you, you get invited to different churches and then you can buff up, buff up a good one. Uh, but but I, I didn't do that for you this morning because I have to do, cover the whole gospel of Matthew. And I, I, I want to thank you because it was an exciting week uh, and it was exciting to look at the text. And so I want to look at, at Matthew um, and the way I'd like to approach it with you um, is because I would like to look at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and why I love it. That's what I'd like to do. I want to share you with you why I love the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, can I tell you how strong this is, what you're doing with this immersive Bible reading? It is so strong. Uh, if you're visiting like I am today, um, join us in this. And Eric gave me the Bible that you're working with. It's a New Living Translation, and, and the books aren't in order. Well, not the order I'm used to. Um, they're in a different order. And it's a very easy, wonderful read. And I think some of you will start reading Matthew. Maybe you already have. And you're, there's so much in there that's familiar to you. But you're going to be reading it um, together. And then you're in groups to talk about it. This is so strong. Um, one of the trips, I, 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 I've, I've been bivocational at Holland Heights for the last 15 or 20 years or so, whatever, um, leading trips to Egypt, Jordan, Israel, Israel. One of the trips we lead is called Ancient Paths to Modern Leadership. Ancient Paths to Modern Leadership is where we spend a day with a flock. We have so many people who call themselves pastors and they've never held a sheep. Okay, um, and, and just never understood the difference between the function of sheep and goats. Well, one of the things we do is we go to Petra and I divide the group into, up into groups of two or three and they spend a day with the flock. Okay? And they come back and the Bedouin makes supper for us. And we're under the stars. And I say, okay, tell me what you saw. 
invariably, inevitably, one of the things over and over and over again, they were just blown away on how the flock responds to the shepherd's voice. Now listen, you're going to hear God's word through my voice. Okay? The only way, because Jesus says, I know my sheep by name and they know my voice. The way you know his voice is by the fact that he uses words. I am afraid for you if you are not in the text because you won't recognize his voice. You won't recognize, and the time you need to recognize it most is at the valley of the shadow of death. I think Jesus is standing there saying, Ahmed, Muhammad, Ling, Poe, George, Sebron, Witska. And if George and Sebron, which is my dad's name, have been in the text, they'll know their rabbis, they'll know their shepherd's voice. You have leadership in this church that are inviting you into God's word. And the power of that for you is that you'll learn his voice. So we're going to talk about the gospel of Matthew and why I love it. And I'd like to do it by three steps, just so that you know where we're going, because sometimes when I'm teaching, you kind of say, whoa, that's a rabbit trail, and it generally is. I want to understand the audience. I want to understand the teaching style. And I also... uh, One more. Come on, George. I want to embrace the challenge of the Gospel of Matthew. So there's going to be so much more we could put into this, um, but but, but, uh, that's what what I'd like to do. So first of all, I want to understand the audience. Here, let me get my... I started talking and didn't even get set up here. Um, I want to understand the audience. The audience for the Gospel of Matthew is all of us, of course, But you've heard Eric and Mike and others say that the Bible was written for us. It wasn't written to us. When I'm on trips, I like to make that point very clearly to people because if I tell you, because I'm Canadian, I'm Canadian, um, okay, Um, (laughs) uh, and if I tell you that the Las Vegas Knights won the Stanley Cup, I don't have to tell you they play hockey, or I shouldn't have to, otherwise my work here is abundant. The Bible has so many things for the original audience that the original audience would have picked up on. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, it's so cool. In Hebrew, do you realize in Hebrew there are no capital letters? Capital letters are a big deal. They are a very big deal. Okay? When you run into a capital letter, it's usually a person, place, or thing, or something, whatever. But in Hebrew, there aren't any. So they're just reading through. And they just translate words like names that you and I don't. Hey, Matthew's audience were people who were steeped in Hebrew. They were first century Jews. And I want you to understand that. because, And I think a lot of you are like me. You understand this first audience. You may not understand Judaism. But there's something very strong that I know a lot of you have in common with them. And you have in common with me. And that's this. Jews in the first century... Never grew, grew up never not knowing God. They grew up never not knowing God. They knew God. They knew Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew the David stories. That's the way I grew up. I grew up never not knowing Jesus. Okay? I grew up never not knowing Jesus. I remember growing up, um, going to school, grade one. We, never had, we didn't have Christian school, so I went to school with, with the other kids. And, 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 and I remember grade one, Mrs. Steed's class in Donville School. 
um, I, I had my lunch, I'm getting time for lunch, and I started to pray. And other kids didn't pray. And live to tell about it. <laughs> I grew up, first songs I sang were, Jesus loves me. I, quite frankly, I don't know how theologically sound this is, and this, this may just be a one-hit wonder, <laughs> DeYoung is leaving. Uh, but I, I, I tell you something, for me, it wasn't so much accepting Jesus as my Savior. I kind of, he was always my Savior. The challenge for George was would I accept Jesus as my Lord? Am I going to let him drive? Is he going to be the Lord of my life? Matthew is writing to a group of people who grew up like he did, never not knowing God. They were people of the text. So when you read your Bible, you'll find in the Bible something that's absolutely unique. Uh, I don't think there's another ancient Near Eastern document that I'm aware of, and I could be educated, I don't know everything, that's for sure, um, that has something called a genealogy. Only the Bible has genealogies. You ever wonder why? Did you know that? And, and, then, and then Luke's genealogy, because Luke's audience is a much broader audience, Luke goes all the way to Adam. Matthew, he only goes back to Abraham. Why? Well, they were all sons of Abraham. And they wanted to make sure that, or not Abraham, pardon me, goes all the way back to David. Why? Because the Messiah in the first century would be of the line of David. He would be the house of David. He would be a son of David. Now, that's not just a biological thing, to be a son of David. The biology's there, I got it, okay? But isn't there more content? What is there... To be a son of David means, in my opinion, you share some of the characteristics of David. What makes David stand apart from any other character in the Hebrew text? There were other characters that wrote Psalms. There were other characters that had wonderful battles. What is it about David? David is the one king who unified God's people. After David, and because of David, it wasn't split under Solomon... But after David and Solomon, then, then, then God's people were disunified and they would never be unified again until the son of David, the Messiah, would come. Matthew wants you to know that Jesus is in the line of David and Jesus is going to be the great unifier. Now when you have a whole load of people who grew up never not knowing God, we're thinking he's going to unify just us. But I'm getting ahead of myself because that's the challenge of the Gospel of Matthew. So there's this connection with Jesus. Matthew wants to frame Jesus as son of David as a great unifier. And so when you read your Bibles this afternoon, um, you're going to start with a genealogy. Do you know what the Greek word for genealogy is? Genesis. Genesis. And then later on in chapter 1, verse 18, you're going to read, this is the birth of this is how the birth of Jesus happened. You know what the word for birth is there? Genesis. Then you're going to read, you're going to read that Mary became pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting because we don't ask the text questions, but I love asking the text questions. Why did she become pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Why didn't she, or the Spirit of, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Why didn't she become pregnant by the power of God? Why didn't just God come upon, why do you need to know the Holy Spirit? Okay, we're a Jewish audience. And if you want to emphasize something in Hebrew, one of the ways you do is repeat it. 
and just a few verses, you've had the word Genesis twice, and now you have the Spirit. Is there another place in the Bible where you have Genesis and the Spirit? Exactly. Genesis 1.1. In other words, this time, this isn't just about Jesus, his parentage. This is about Jesus in his origin. And he originates in God himself. Later on, Matthew's going to call him Emmanuel, but again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just, so, so this is, number one, the audience, understand the audience. This audience, they're, they're Jews, they're text people, they grew up never not knowing God. So in Matthew's, in Matthew's gospel, you have more Hebrew text references than any other gospel. Well, of course, they're Jews. <laughs> that, that's a, that, that, of course. It's interesting also, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's the only one that calls him Emmanuel. Matthew's the only one that ties into that Isaiah 7 passage, and the virgin will be conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Well, of course, it's a Jewish, it's a Jewish book. It's written to a Jewish audience. Now, it's written to everybody, don't get me wrong. But don't be surprised if there's things there, and every time you, you, there's things there, you say, wow, that's interesting. And for some of you, it'll awaken some things in the Hebrew text, and that's exactly Matthew's point. So when you read this particular book today, or this week, the Gospel of Matthew, you need to understand the audience, okay? Um, then, um, oh, here, uh, here, you know what? I, Eric, I, I, I put all these neat slides in. Oh, it's not working. Did I turn it off, bud? Never mind. Never mind. We don't... Um, you know, if you could get it working, that would be great. Can I give this to you? And I'm going to keep talking because this counts on my time. Um, <laughs> so, ah, genealogy. Okay, keep going, keep going, keep going. Next one. Yep, okay, we did that. Next one. I want, to appreciate, I want you to appreciate the teaching style. Here, I, I can do it. <laughs> I, want you, I want you to appreciate his teaching style. Now, I'm... I, I've, I'm going to be very vulnerable with you for a moment. Um, there's a lot of reasons, okay? My laziness, um, the system that I grew up in, but school is always hard for George. It was always hard. And uh, when I went to seminary, um, I wasn't at the top of the class, I wasn't at the bottom of the class. But I could see the bottom a whole lot clearer than I could see the top. <laughs> and then I went to Israel in about 1997. Holland Heights Church gave Beth and I a trip with a, this guy. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Ray something or other. Um, and uh, I went on that trip and I wept. I wept. And I wept, not because I was walking where Jesus walked, that's a motive. I wept because it's overwhelmed at how hard God has been trying to talk to us. See, in the Reformed context, we understood uh, taking text in its context, and it was always literary context. That's why we've always emphasized Greek, Hebrew. I had to learn Latin before I went to seminary. John Calvin's commentaries are still of value because they are commentaries on the ancient Greek and, Latin, and Hebrew. And when I, went, when I went with Ray, and I began to see things, 
and see the Galilee and see Via Mars come through and see Jesus engaging the culture and see, thinking about Jesus, talking about fishers of men, whether they're the sea or the sower when he's walking in the fields, seeing these pictures. My heart, a fire ignited in my heart then and it still burns and burns brighter today. I love that. I went in the ministry because I love people, which is okay, but that's kind of an enabling, codependent kind of thing that is not really healthy. I'm, but I, when I came back from that trip, I went nuclear at Holland Heights. I mean, sermons went from 25 minutes to an hour, and then went back to 25 minutes. <laughs> the teaching style of Matthew is pictures. Picture, 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 picture. Matthew wants you to see things in the text. One of the things is, um, in Deuteronomy, oh, let's see if, I, if this still works. Okay. In Deuteronomy, Moses says, the Lord is going to raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Now, in Hebrew, that's, of course, Shema, and we're not going to stand here and talk about Shema, but that's a message in itself. But you must listen to him, or you must obey him. Okay? Now you start to ask yourself some questions. What's there so unique about Moses? I mean, I mean there's somehow there's something unique about Moses here. Moses is saying, you're going to raise up a prophet like me. Well, you see, other, what is a prophet? Well, our, my seminary professor, Dr. Woutstra, um, at, at Calvin, would say, uh, now of blessed memory, would say, well, prophecy is not foretelling as much as it's forthtelling. Okay? Prophecy is speaking truth to your time. Okay? So what, what Isaiah is doing is he's not making up new Bible. He's taking the Torah and applying it to a situation at his time. What Jeremiah is doing is not making up new Bible. He's taking Torah, the teachings of Torah, and applying it to its time. So we have the Gospels. You could argue the Gospels are kind of like the Torah, and all that comes following are like the prophets. Paul speaking truth to the Thessalonians, to the Corinthians. So, so there are others who spoke truth to their times, and there were other prophets that did miracles. Moses isn't the only one. There were other prophets who fed people, even brought people back from the dead. That's in the Hebrew text. What is there unique about Moses? You know what's unique about Moses? And I got this from the rabbis. The rabbis say, what's unique about Moses, when Moses, remember when he was on Sinai, and he and God were talking together and say, boy, and all of a sudden God says, you know, Moses, I, I'm sorry, we have to stop. The noise is bothering me. And Moses says, what noise? Go down. Okay. And then, and then, and then but, but before he goes, God says, I'm going to wipe him out. And here it is. And Moses says, no, no. Take me, spare them. And Moses is the only individual, as I read the Hebrew text, who is innocent that will give his life for the guilty. When you, the Lord's going to raise up a prophet like me, who's innocent, who will lay his life down for the guilty. When he comes, listen to him. Obey him. These are pictures Amazing pictures. So when Moses is born, there's an evil king killing babies. When Jesus is born, there's an evil king killing babies. Moses brings his people out of Egypt. Mary and Joseph bring their son out of Egypt, according to Hosea. 
Moses passes through the water. Jesus goes through the water of baptism. Moses goes to a mountain and, and receives God's word. Jesus goes to a mountain and gives God's word. Moses takes the people in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. These are pictures. And the original audience, oh, oh, oh my, oh wow. And not only as you read the gospel of Matthew, are, is God winning over your, your mind? Your, what is that? What's happening is the Holy Spirit is winning over your heart. And you're reading this. Did I tell you how fortunate you are to be reading God's word? Because you're going to learn his voice. And in this day and age, with what's going on or not going on in Washington or the Middle East, however you feel about Biden or Trump, do you realize this is probably one of the only rooms in Holland where you have Democrats and Republicans, Palestinian supporters, Israeli supporters, all in the same room, worshiping the same God. Do you know, do you know, do you know how much of the kingdom is represented here? Steward it well. So as you read this book, you're going to see Matthew depict Jesus kind of like, kind of like Moses. But, but, but here's something, okay, and I'm lifting this up, but I think I'm not just lifting it up because it fits in the sermon. I'm lifting this up because I think this had, the pre- had a presence in the minds of the Jewish people of the first century larger than I originally appreciated. It's a passage out of uh, Jeremiah. Oops. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. Sorry. Sorry, Eric. Here we go. Wait for it. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah, through Jeremiah the prophet, God says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. I will, it will not be like the covenant I made with them, with their forefathers, when I took them by the hand and led them out of the Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. No, that's, that's done. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they're all going to know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their, their wickedness and remember their sins no more. See, Jesus is coming. See, it's not that the commandments and the Torah were wrong or they didn't work. What didn't work was the people didn't work. They disobeyed them. They're not that hard. They're not that far away that you can't get them, says Moses. But we didn't want to get them. And then, and then the distance that, that we created in the garden at the tree, and then we left the garden, and God follows us. He goes with us out of the garden, and, but we go further and further and further away from God. So according to Jeremiah 31, God says, okay, that, that old covenant, just it's not working. They're not reflecting me. They're not showing who I am. It's only serving to create, create diff, a greater distance. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have a new covenant. And this new covenant, it's going to have all the pieces and parts of the old one. But I want to have this new covenant with you. It'll be on your heart and on your mind. Because I'm going to forgive you, even as you're running away from me. And Jesus' ministry is the preemptive strike of God's grace to the people of his time. While we were yet sinners, God showed his love. And the Gospel of Matthew is the preemptive strike 
of grace through Jesus Christ to the people of that time. He, he, he went, and, then, and then he would go, he would go, and he would go to people, that, and people would be listening to them. I mean, the tax collectors would listen to him, and he, he'd pray up the strike of grace, I'm going to go to your place. The sex workers of the time, prostitutes, listened to him. Jesus didn't compromise in them, his message, but there was something about Jesus, something about Jesus, that he would go and he didn't embrace them. Well, of course, the people who grew up never not knowing God kind of look down their noses at that. Because we've been judging those people all these years. And Jesus goes out. He's the preemptive strike of God's grace. And that's what the church is. That's what you and I are. We're the preemptive strike of God's grace. We don't compromise on the truth. Jesus never compromised on truth. You know, one of the things I learned, and too late, my mom would say, George, we grow up too, too soon old, too late wise. Um, and if I could do it different, I, would, I, I think I would have looked at Jesus' life more missiological. I, 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 was, I, I looked up as redemptive. He paid for my sins. And yeah, he's a good model, but I haven't really wrestled with some of the challenges that he had. See, the more you wrestle with the Bible and accept the Bible in context, you're going to realize the Bible is appropriate to this context too. Now, in our tradition, CRC, RCA, um, we, we, we all hold that we're not allowed to add to the scriptures, take away from the scriptures, right? But if one day God would wink and say, hey, George, yes, Father, you get to add one thing. Can I really? Yeah. What would you like to add? Father, you know, in Predicus, which is Dutch for Ecclesiastes, just thought I threw that in there. Um, in Ecclesiastes, when it says there's nothing new under the sun, could you just simply add, except for George? Because this is George's first time under the sun. So I think what's happening in the Middle East has never happened before, but it has. I think the confusion that people have in their sexual identities and, and the brokenness of marriages, that's never happened before, but it has. He is sovereign over all. You have no idea. I do, maybe you do. I don't know you that well. The treasure that God has given you in his Bible. He is sovereign over all. Stop panicking. So, see, I think Jesus is coming in Matthew's gospel to build the Jeremiah 31 people. That's what he's doing. He's coming to build the Jeremiah 31 people. Now, uh, Okay, because there's a, there's a thing at the back that has all zeros on it, which may be... <laughs> um, okay, well, but this is just, I'm only here once, right? So then we're gone. We're gone. So, <laughs> um, all right, so let me, let, let me do the challenge for you real quick, real quick, because I need to let you go, because you have other things to do. Um, the challenge... Of the, of the embracing the challenge. Jesus, Jesus, um, and this, it, this is why I, I really appreciate you because you gave me the chance to look at the Gospel of Matthew and pick out the things you really like. And, and this came to me. And I, I, it's, it, it's still taking root in my heart. 
Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, right? And, 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 and he ends the Sermon on the Mount with the, the story of the builders. Remember? Uh, uh, wise is the man who hears my words and does them. He's like his man who builds his house in the rock. Foolish is the man who hears my words and doesn't do them. He's like the man who builds his house in the sand. Rains come down, storms come up, floodwaters go, the one in the rock stands, the one in the sand is gone. Yes? Okay, what happens after that? See, we don't think that way. But Matthew is writing to an audience, and he's telling a story, and he's crafting it. Do you know what happens right after that story? Because that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So in other words, Jesus is saying, listen, hey, you're all here this morning, okay? But if you're going to walk out of here and talk about the football game yesterday, and your lives aren't going to change, and you don't have a commitment to read the Gospel of Matthew this, this afternoon, you're basically building your house in the sand. But if you're going to do the uphill, grab your Bible, sit down and read the thing, and allow the Holy Spirit to drill these words into you, you're, you're building a house in the rock. What happens right after that? You know what happens right after that? Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, and there, who confronts him? A leper. And a leper. What's a leper? A leper is the walking dead. It's about as unclean as you possibly can get. I think it's a test. I think it's a test. I think there, now the crowd's like, okay, is he one of those preachers that can craft the word so nicely and, and oh, weren't our hearts moved, but then moment the sermon's over, pfft, they're like everybody else? Or is there something authentic to this man? So this leper comes. Jesus doesn't say to him, nice to meet you, go show yourself to the priest. No. Jesus sees this leper, okay, and I can do this because you said so many nice things about me, Eric, but would you be my leper this morning? Here, stand up once. Jesus comes, Jesus sees this leper, and the translations say Jesus touched him. He touched him. I don't know, did he touch him like this? I don't, he touched him. The Greek word is hapto. Say hapto. <laughs> Thank you. That's what Jesus did. I don't see Jesus touching him. I see Jesus hugging him. Now, I do this little ministry called Under the Fig Tree, and we have some podcasts. Not many. We have some. The most popular podcast we did, we did for last Christmas, is called Emmanuel, God with us. And it's only in Matthew that he's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, what does Emmanuel mean? Well, it means God with us. And I reflected a little bit because we all like the God with part. We love it that God is with us, comforts us and encourages us, affirms us. We all like the God with. It's the us part that we have a problem with. See, I like inclusivity until I'm included. Once I'm included, meh. Then, hmm, oh. how big is your us? I coached my share of hockey, high school hockey. I still play. Well, I play. I wear skates and hold a stick on Wednesday nights, play with other old men. Um, but when we were coaching hockey, we came to tournaments. I mean, when you begin your hockey season and you have your scrimmages and you set up some teams that you're gonna, you know you're going to clean up, West Ottawa, ooh, they, I coached for South Christian, and ooh, West Ottawa was always a handful. I think they won more than 
Then I was helping with Aquinas and Hope. <laughs> Always, that was a handful. But you know what? It gets more intense the closer you get to the playoffs. Christ Memorial Church, it's going to get more intense the closer we get the playoffs. It is. It's not time to pull the ripcord. It's time for the church to embody Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. And I'll tell you, what must have blown them away to embrace the challenge is what happens at the end of the gospel. Because at the end of the gospel, this is what Jesus does. He says, all authority has been given to me. He's earned it. And he gives it to the disciples, and he sends them out to the nations. So those people who grew up never not knowing God, better make room in church. Because there's a whole load of people coming in that don't share their story, that don't have the same background, that may even have to learn the language. And quite frankly, they're going to be babies in Christ, which makes you and I the adults. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pray with me, please. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, sovereign over all. Bless and thank you, Father, for this time that we could be in your word. Bless and thank you, Father, that you are God who speaks. We thank you for the gospel of Matthew. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we savor your word. And may your Holy Spirit use the words that we read um, to drill down not only into our minds, into our hearts, but into our bones, so that we would listen and learn in order that we might live more boldly, more bravely to your honor and to your glory. In God's name, in Jesus' name, all God's people said.